0: Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice of the Numbers, your movie's podcast. I am your host, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corbin Heller. We'll probably talk about it more in full on Thursday since it's the sports edition Thursdays. or uh, Sorry, Monday. Jesus, Monday. Uh, Man, I have no concept of time. (laughs) I'm still working, so that shouldn't be uh, happening. Uh, so anyway, we'll talk about it probably more on the Monday episode, but uh, there will eventually be sports news. It looks like the NBA has a tentative plan. The NHL is in the final stages of putting together a plan, and the MLB is trying its best to not have a plan, but might have <laughs> one anyway. Um, so hopefully, um, I say with mixed feelings, the movies episode of this podcast goes away in the coming month, month and a half, uh, but again, we'll talk about it more in detail on uh Monday's episode. Um, but for now, welcome to the movies edition. Hey. Woo. All right. Uh so today we're talking about uh the 2020 film The Invisible Man and 2004 was The Departed. Corwin, are you ready to get started?
1: Yeah, now that I know what you're actually talking about, yes, the Invisible Man was twenty <laughs> twenty.
0: Yeah, all. all right. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I'm ready. All right, well, then let's get started with The Departed. I hate myself already. Um, I hated myself when I thought of it, and I hate no. myself more than now that I said it. Um, all right, so uh, The Departed, a 2006 film uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by William Moynihan and others, starring Leo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, um, Mac Wahlberg, Martin Sheen. Oh, my God, so many people. Vera Farmiga, Anthony Anderson. It's it's a ridiculous cast. We'll sure we'll talk about it. Um, it yeah, for, had,
1: you know. Every time we talk about Vera Farmiga, we need to bring up that she went to my high school.
0: Yep, Flemington, New Jersey. Woo! Ah uh, ah uh, uh. Um, any guess as to the estimated budget of this film? I'm gonna say uh, 120 million dollars. Uh. You're you're high, but at the same time, high is the direction I would have gone as well. And this is on the high side. This might be the highest estimated budget of any film we've done so far. 90 million dollars. Wow. Um yeah, it's that's a lot. It raked in cumulative worldwide gross 290 million dollars. So certainly a success. Um it was nom sorry, it won four Oscars. Damn it, I had it up. Um God damn it, Josh. You in your many, many tabs. It won Best Motion Picture that of the Year for true. Graham yeah. King. Yeah, I know. Um, Best Achievement in Directing for Martin Scorsese. Best Writing adapted Screenplay for William Moynihan. I love saying that last name. Um, Best Achievement in Film Editing for Thelma Schoonmaker. And Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for Mark Wahlberg. Uh, it follows uh, an Undercover Cop and a Mole in the Police. Uh, Uh, attempt to identify each other while infiltrating an Irish gang in South Boston. Uh, Corwin, what do you think of this film?
1: I love this movie. This has forever been one of my favorite movies. Uh, It was one of my favorite movies when I still didn't understand what was going on in this movie. Um, I think Marky Mark being in this and just being a ridiculous character the entire time is the reason why. Um, you know, after that, there's really no other things to talk about, about this movie because it's just Marky Mark the whole time. Um, but yeah, I love this. I think it's a tremendous story. Uh, one of the most, I don't know. I feel like it's not as unique as I hold it up to be, but at the same time, this being a, you know, cornerstone movie for me, it felt original and wildly unique at the time. Um. But even still, I would very much uh, consider it that. Uh, It's basically two cops, one undercover, one secretly a rat, trying to sniff each other out while both, quote-unquote, working for the biggest gang boss, mob boss in Boston, um, with just a tremendous set of characters. Um, Yes, so conclusion, I love this movie.
0: Yeah, it's an insane cast. I mean, Alec Baldwin also very prominently in this. Um, this is very famously a remake of a 2002 uh, Hong Kong film called *Internal Affairs*, which is also very good in of its own right. Um, it's basically a shot-for-shot remake in a lot of ways, but um, with that certain Scorsese edge to it that we all know and love so dearly. Ah, um, mm-hmm. uh, goddamn! That is a that
1: fact I've very much forgot that it's the, it's the same movie as a ter- Internal Affairs.
0: Yeah, and they both, I mean, it's very clearly the exact same movie, but they both have a different kind of feel to it. Um, part of that feeling comes from the fact that this movie takes place in Boston and feels like it takes place in Boston, and goddammit, does it remind me how much I really hate Boston. <laughs> um. <laughs> My uh, my my notes in order are um indoctrination is powerful from from the, the beginning scenes. Um and then it's I fucking hate Mark Wahlberg, because I really do. Um and then um the Boston accent is the worst atrocity in American history. Um I also have here fuck the dropkick Murphy's. Uh yeah, I really, really can't stand everything about Boston. Um, wow. You don't,
1: you don't like shipping up to Boston.
0: I think it's such a trash song. And I think the fact that it's held up to be such like a pillar of whatever the fuck they want to call that type of music is really pathetic. And I think if you like it, I think you're probably a pretty bad person on the inside where it counts the most.
1: Hey, all right. No further comments on the subject (laughs) because I like doing this podcast with Josh. Uh, (laughs) Fuck. Uh, I'll just want to say that my second note is also about Mark Wahlberg, but how much I love him, and when he does these wacky, non-serious characters, um, it's just so fucking funny. And like, I still to this day don't know if he's trying to be funny for these movies and for these characters, but god damn, it's hilarious. Like him in this, him in Pain and Gain, him in the other guys, even him in The Happening, which I choose to believe is a comedy is fucking hilarious.
0: Uh, this is another case of me of me hating a professional who has nothing to do with which has nothing to do with their work as much as it has to do with the personal life because God damn it, Mark Wahlberg is an atrocious human being. Um oh, and he's, it, a, he's a piece of shit. Oh my god, yeah. He's 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 a racist and he should probably still be in jail. Um, and it's so bad, but whatever. Um, it's a whole separate conversation. So uh, my first note is indoctrination is I powerful. Feel, I, just,
1: I just want to say before we jump in, um, I still hold Donnie to those standards. And I just kind of have let Mark Wahlberg pass because he's funny. And that I feel bad about that.
0: Uh, hey, that's honestly like a reality, though. Oftentimes, the more famous you are, the easier it is for people to just like wash over your sketchy past. But yeah, Chris Brown's still a thing which is genuinely shocking because that was so po- it doesn't matter all right nope we're not doing it we are staying light and breezy um so mark no, not mark Wolberg. um fucking matt damon god damn it, i am going to mix these two white boys up all night matt damon um his character we start off with him uh being a child in a diner um in boston and jack nicholson's character Basically buying his affection um, for no reason, I guess, just to just to get more um, youth involved in his in his racket that he can eventually have become soldiers. Um, and I kind of viewed
1: it as he understands this power of indoctrination. And yeah, he's got to buy them at a young age to read.
0: And I, I think that in one of the final scenes in which uh, one of the other police officers reveals themselves to also be a mole for Jack Nicholson's kid. Frank? Yeah, Frank. Uh, Frank. Uh, yeah. yeah, that you see that this is almost certainly by far, uh, or far from being the only person that Jack Nicholson did this to. But mm-hmm. it it, I mean, it really shows that indoctrination is a immense force. I mean, he got this kid seemingly do-right kid, gets good grades, his, whose parents felt responsible enough to let him chill out at a diner by himself, which means he also had, like, a little bit of money in his pocket since he was at the diner in the first place, you know, oh, so... They, like, he- they, 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 they died. They died?
1: Like, that was the whole point of, like, that opening scene. It's like, yeah, his parents, like, died or something.
0: Oh, man, I missed that entirely. And,
1: like, that's why he was buying him the groceries and stuff. Because he felt bad that like this kid's life is fucked up.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that went right over. I uh, Honestly, with movies I've seen a bunch of times, I gloss over a lot of scenes. That's fair. Yeah, I'm not even going to lie to you here. If I've seen the movie enough times that I feel as though I'm within my right to zone out a little bit, I do it. Yeah, that's fair.
1: Sorry. I I honestly did this a couple times with this movie just because, again, this is one of the the few movies I've seen, like, many,
0: many times. So how, um... Oh, I don't remember where I was going with that. Never mind. (laughs) Um, So Jack Nicholson in this movie is a wild character. Um, Mm -hmm. He... The only complaint I have is that he definitely, like, adds and drops the Boston accent as the film goes on. There's some points where I can almost hear Martin Scorsese in the background saying, Jack, come on. More, less R's. Give me fewer R's. Um, and uh, and it, it's, it's a little bit jarring at some points, but goddammit, if this isn't the exact character that Jack Nicholson was, like, born to be.
1: I had that exact note of just, this is just a purely Jack Nicholson movie. Jack Nicholson movie. It's perfect for him. Like, the specific scene was when he was throwing handfuls of coke up whores asses and like telling the other whores to like go to town until your face is fucking numb that was just like wow this is this like a hidden camera scene in jack nicholson's jack nicholson's trailer
0: i wouldn't in the least be surprised i mean my god this is a man who certainly survived the 60s uh the one thing, though, that I I want to ask you about his character that I I wasn't something I'd thought about I guess until this wa- this this uh, watch through. So, I don't I don't know how crime organized organized crime really works because I've never done it um, or really spent That's the time or effort to like look into it. But I have to assume that a man seemingly of Jack Nicholson's stature within the organized crime community. Probably wouldn't have to do nearly as much of the legwork as he does in this film. Because he does a lot of his yeah. own legwork in this film, right?
1: Yeah. Again, there's some lines in there about, like, yo, Frank, like, you should not be here for this. Like, get, what are you doing? And he's just like, I'm doing it himself. God damn it. Like, they t- he talks about, like, he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the bitches. He's just doing it because he likes to do it.
0: Which, on the one hand, I get, but it also feels weird because they they do make like allusions to the fact that he owns other other businesses. Like he was at a what was it a strip club that they own? No, a, a porn theater. Adult movie theater. Yeah, that yeah. he said he owns. So he clearly does own other. Uh, I mean, I'm pressed to call it a legitimate business if you own an adult theater, but for tax purposes, I'm sure it's legitimate. Uh, and to like not be more concerned with that, because usually I don't mean to stereotype mafia movies or mob movies, but typically, the head honcho guy I I imagine sitting behind a desk you know, Don Corleone style talking about the affairs while like handling the paperwork and day-to-day of the legitimate side of businesses to give him uh, more of a, a presence behind the legitimate side of it, and to give him culpability in against the the crime side of it, which you certainly don't get from this. It's weird. I don't know. It was distracting for me. One of the
1: things I really liked about this though was that like it felt that sense of like grittiness and hands on. Like this was Boston, like they don't play by everybody else's rules. It's, you know they're hands on, they're close knit, you know, it's it's just it added to the story for me a lot and I really liked it about it.
0: Do you do you think Jack Nicholson was more hands-on than one might expect because he was an FBI informant?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely never something I've put together. Um, Just crossed my mind now,
0: honestly. Yeah,
1: like that would make a whole lot of sense about like him needing to know all the details to pass it along. But I feel like him being an FBI informant was like, hey, I'm going to do this but tell you guys about it so I can keep on doing it and instead of like I'm doing this to tell the FBI I
0: I, I just get the sense that it was he really really didn't give a fuck about anything and yeah you get the impression throughout the majority of the film that he doesn't give a fuck about much but he cares about a few select people he cares about Matt Damon's character he starts to care about Leo DiCaprio's character, and you think like you know he at least care. He doesn't care about the fucking henchmen whose names I'm sure both of us have already forgotten. Um, but uh, it was like Bill Hunt and
1: Oh, you're so much better than I, Harry
0: Potter. I don't remember every single one of those white dudes look the same to me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I would have. You get the sense that he 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 cares at least about like to an extent those guys, but. I think what what it's meant to, what those last 30, 40 minutes are meant to show you is like, not only does he not care about the people that we have been spent the movie following, he has more people like those people and he's been telling on them to the FBI just either to keep his own ass out the jackpot or to make as much fucking money as he could by operating however much he could within the confines of the agreement he'd had with the FBI. Um, which is just fucking ruthless.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. There's just so many good characters. It's like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I've seen this so many times and, you know, pay attention to all the little details. It's just, everyone feels so deep and conflicted and just there's so many layers. Mm.
0: So that actually brings me to another question I had written down here. So as the movie goes on, you know, you see uh, Leo DiCaprio being involved in Jack Nicholson's escapades or whatever, um, criminal underbelly uh, doings, and then reporting them to the police because he's an undercover police officer. And then you see Matt Damon being involved in the police and counterintelligence or espionage or whatever side of it you want to call it. Justice and law, fucking whatever. And then telling Jack Nicholson's character what's happening on that end so that he can avoid it. And its movie ends with everybody dying. Uh, again, it's not a spoiler alert. This movie is 15 years old. So, I had written down here did any of the counterintelligence really matter? Because I understand that like, the movie literally would not have played out exactly as it would have if there was not any counterintelligence, but you got to think at the end of it, like the cops never got the microchips. The um, they did get um, Frank's care, uh, Frank, but they they ended up like it's not like Matt Damon did him any favors. He ended up having to kill him, you know, without without or to avoid the risk of being found out. Uh, Leo DiCaprio got his identity taken completely away, so the fact that he was a cop basically. It did end up matter. It it, it did end up being given to him by Matt Damon at the end of the of of his story, but it didn't. And it very much so could have been an ending in which he didn't uh, have his identity revealed.
1: At that point, Mark Wahlberg would have stepped in because he was still aware. It's just it's not something they could communicate because he had resigned. But like he knew who he was. He knew what most likely really went down, and what sides these guys really were on because, you know, the tapes were already passed off at that point, but yeah, I, I don't know specifically about what had happened with those, uh, like, I can't remember the specifics of, like, the information that they were passing back and forth, but uh, maybe that's the point of just saying, yeah, none of this really matters and all of this was for naught, and there's four or five cops dead because of nothing.
0: Uh, yeah, I I I think the more I think about it, the more I think that it, I really I'm just describing the point of the movie because one thing I I can say certainly with my entire chest is that there is zero semblance of justice in the film. Oh no, no no no, no one no one sees justice. Uh Frank like I'm, dies I'm without seeing day in court.
1: To through the characters to find out, and I. Can't think of a single instance.
0: No, no. I mean, n- not again, not a single person.
1: Point of all of this was for fucking knowledge.
0: And uh, I think that maybe again, maybe I'm I'm just finally realizing the point of it, or maybe I'm pulling at a thread. But the fact that, like, seriously, if you take these two characters away, like, so the one the one scene that really sticks in my head the most about this is the scene where jack nicholson meets with the investors the chinese investors um uh, if you can even be so generous as to call them that they are basically gang members
1: um and one super scared dude from the chinese government
0: yes which was hilarious so jack nicholson went there and knew where the blind spots were uh in the camera setup because Matt Damon had told him that. But the cameras were there because Leo DiCaprio had told the police that they were going to that location. And basically the gangs, the respective gangs or mobs or whatever, weren't gotten on film or recorded doing the thing that they were going to be doing, which they wouldn't have anyway if neither of these two things had happened. But and yet, man hours, labor, and time were invested to make it happen, and then it didn't because of dueling counter espionage, you know. And they were kind of loosely uh, able to, to the U.S. Drink. government, right? Like it. And don't get me wrong; it made for like an, a really good scene, and like it totally fits. And and that's the thing is like all of the more I think about it, the more I think that this entire movie was pointless. But God damn it, was it still a satisfying, tense two and a half hours? Oh my God! Yeah, the more I think about it, this is nothing. But it was a great, great nothing.
1: Like it's one of the reasons why I've seen it so many times. Like there are very few movies I will go back and watch repeatedly. Um, Like I'll go back and watch it maybe like a second time, whatever it may be. But that's usually it, unless I really love this movie and. It's a movie about nothing that I've seen, like, seven, eight times, whatever it is, because it's a fantastic nothing. It's like Seinfeld,
0: but Boston. Which I, I hate that you described it as such, but I don't fault you. because well, I did, and there's no taking those words back from society. <sighs> it was the exact around. thought I had as well, so, again, I can't fault you too heavily. Um,
1: there's literally nothing we could do.
0: <laughs> no, no. All right, so one, um, so we've talked about this. uh, I think most in depth when we talked about True Grit, the fact that some movies are about a thing happening, and then the thing happens for the entire movie. And uh, this this movie is about um, them trying to these competing espionage or competing mole and rat situations, trying to catch Frank Costello, and then that's that's the movie, and then, yeah, like, that's the whole movie. Um, so I don't have... I have a little bit more, but I don't have too, too much. So one final, like, plot specific question I have here um, that I, I don't think, unless I glossed over this too, I don't think got revealed at the end. What was in Leo DiCaprio's envelope that he gave to Vera Farmiga?
1: Um, it was the tapes that he had on... Um, what was, uh, what was his name?
0: Uh, Mark Silver, Walker, Silver. Or, I mean, uh, Matt Damon, but see, didn't, didn't yep. he give her that envelope before he got the tapes?
1: Uh, I don't know. Cause I always kind of glossed over that the last couple of times I've seen it. And like, I was just putting it together today but
0: because I- he goes, he goes straight from seemingly anyway, he goes straight from Matt Damon's office. To Vera Farmiga and gives her that envelope, and then it fast forwards a little bit. I don't know how far. I forget, but it fast forwards a little bit to you know Vera Farmiga laying on Matt Damon's chest, like gives her gives him the uh, the ultrasound picture, and then yeah. Matt Damon gets a thing in the mail, and then that's when Leo reveals that he had gotten contacted by the lawyer. So. It seems the the timeline of it being like because that was always my assumption too. And then I'm watching it and thinking that the it that the timeline just seems a tad off, you know. So
1: he had gotten the tapes from Quinan's lawyer, Martin Sheen's lawyer. No, Costello's lawyer. There. Oh, you're right. It was Costello's lawyer. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. They don't have any specific dates or, you know, keystones for holding the timeline or like for reference for the timeline. So we can't know and they don't ever explicitly say what is in the envelope. So I guess it's like what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction type of deal. And it's really just left up to interpretation.
0: And like, this what isn't any. Could I... it realistically be? So that's, what, that's one of the things I was going to say. So this isn't, also, this isn't anything I'm, like, upset about. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm saying, the movie's ruined because we didn't find out what was in the, the, the envelope. But it's not like Pulp Fiction because the Pulp Fiction suitcase is just there to be chased. Like, the whole point of it is that it's a thing that, like, people are trying to get and that's all it needs to be. And this isn't. In fact, it's made so little a deal of that come the end of the movie... You could basically forget the scene where he gave her the stuff because it never gets brought up again. But I mean, it could be it could be a confession about who he is and his feelings for Vera Farming, something personal. It could be some type of evidence, but it seems weird given what happens like two scenes later. Um and really beyond those two other things, or between those two things, I don't know what else it could be.
1: Yeah, it's just like the reason he gave it to her was to hold on to in case anything happened to him. And at that point, this was right before he went and you know, did anything crazy, uh like trying to arrest Sullivan at the end, like stuff like that. So I feel like there's nothing else it could realistically be. So that's what I'm sticking with. Whatever, unless I hear from Martin Scorsese otherwise, that's what I'm gonna think it is.
0: All right, yeah, fair enough. Um, so apparently this is how Mark Wahlberg actually talks. Um, this is his real accent, which is hilarious. And he also based his performance off of the police officers who would arrested him about two dozen times in his youth and the reactions of his parents who'd had to come bail him out with their grocery money. And God damn it, if there's not a single endearing se- uh, part of that sentence. Um, God, fuck yourself, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, you had if one you good song. what you had one good song, oh, feel,
1: feel the, the vibrations, of... yeah, uh, good vibrations.
0: No, it's definitely feeling the vibrations. I got uh, the, I gotta feel those vibrations, <laughs> gotta feel <laughs> the sensations. It's definitely how it goes. <laughs> Um, I also wrote down here that this film really emphasizes how easily the law can be circumvented from the inside.
1: Yeah, for real. Yeah, they well, definitely put I that I on
0: show, uh, showcase.
1: Hold I picked this last week because I legitimately didn't.
0: Yeah, no, it, uh, ooh, in light of recent current events, it certainly, uh, sticks out. Um, and like there was that one was...
1: sign at the, or one uh, line of dialogue at the beginning when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was in the um, police academy with, I don't know the actor's name, um, but the black guy. And he was like, yeah, you don't need any help being fucked. You're a black guy in Boston. And I was like, man, this was 15 years ago. And that still, it's like a pile of bricks. Anthony so Anderson. Thing,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh my god, not nothing's changed in the slightest. Um, when uh, even he, a little bit, uh,
1: Matt Damon is out to dinner with Farm again he's like, Oh, I could just make something up to arrest you for, like, I could just do whatever I want. And they're like laughing off because it's like, Oh, it's a funny joke because we're white people at an up-class restaurant. And it's like, <laughs>
0: Oh, this makes me sad, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna pivot away from this now. Uh, Please do. So, Vera Farmiga. I don't have anything to really say about her performance here. I think she's a decent enough actress. I find her career perplexing though, because she was in such big films. Like she was in this, which was a best picture winner. She was she was in Up in the Air, which I I'm pretty sure was nominated for best picture. Um, I don't think it won. Doesn't matter. But like that was I think 2000. Eight two 2009 this is 2006 like she's in a lot of like prestige films at the time and the only thing i can recall seeing her in, in the last five years are those uh the conjuring movies i think is what she's in yeah. um which what a bizarre career trajectory annabelle
1: the godzilla sequel just a bunch of garbage I've literally never heard of. Uh, the Bates Motel TV series. I'm sure that's stellar. Man, Up in the Air was 2009. That's the most recent movie that is of note. But he was in The Boy in the Striped Pajamas a year earlier. Uh, the Departed two years before that. Uh, the Manchurian Candidate in 2004. Super it's weird. Like Career trajectory. What a peak! I mean, honestly, uh, yeah, that's pretty fantastic. And then completely disappeared.
0: Yeah. Um. So, what do you think about? So, I, I was reading here that that Martin Scorsese originally wanted to get Al Pacino for uh, Jack Nicholson's role, and then when Pacino couldn't do it, he then got Jack Nicholson. Um, uh, how do you feel about those two actors being compared to each other in that way? Like, how would you see Al Pacino um, in this role?
1: I get why he wanted Al Pacino. I mean, he's the fucking godfather. But I think there's no way Al Pacino would have played him as anything but the godfather, but in Boston.
0: Um, and oh, I God. Could like... you imagine Pacino trying to put on a Boston accent? Oh,
1: God. That would be hard to listen to. And I feel Not like. Not that
0: Nicholson's was any good, but still.
1: Right, like it would go from being like a crazy movie with a crazy main character, but like a wacky crazy to, you know, uh, uh, and scary crazy almost, if it was Al Pacino, or like scary crazy, I mean. And I just don't think it would have gotten the tone right at all. Uh, I think it's fantastic the way it is now, and I I don't know, maybe it's just because I haven't seen the performance, but I I don't think it would have worked.
0: Oh, uh, God, no. Especially because Al Pacino has two settings. Um, calmly whispering and absolutely shrieking. And I'm not saying Jack Nicholson's wild man characters have too much in between, but there's usually at least some in between. Um, my last note...
1: here, that before, and I could honestly say I have never been able to think of something otherwise. What? Him screaming or being super stern and quiet.
0: Ah, uh, the 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 roles are out there. Um uh uh as good as it gets sticks out to mind as he's not like he's not screaming. He's not talking, but he's not screaming. <laughs> so there's the in between. Uh, um that's Jack Nicholson's range. The last note I have here is about how um how easy Pacino, whatever. Oh, Al Pacino. Oh, I'm sorry. I have zero examples for you. <laughs> fair uh, I, I cannot, and in fact, will not give you an example. Um, uh, how, how easy Leo DiCaprio's character makes it seem to infiltrate the mafia? Like seriously, he shows up to a bar one day, smacks a dude with the glass, and they're like, oh yeah, like, dude, you're in, totally. We loved what you did fair, with that high like, my
1: class. His uncle was like one of his top lieutenants he knew his father closely. Like, it's not like it was just some random dude who just started beating up guys at bars and worked his way into the mob.
0: No, he definitely had like the clout behind him. And again, this isn't anything I'm mad about, you know, like, it's not like I'm sitting here saying that this is an indefensible part of the film, but it does like, granted time passes a lot quicker than you think it does. Because when, um, Leo DiCaprio, uh, Mark Wahlberg and Martin Sheen are all talking under that bridge. They mentioned that it's been a year and it it certainly didn't make it look like it was like, if they didn't put that scene in there, I would have assumed this entire film happened in like two to four months. Um, Just because there's no good showings of how time is passing. But I think the total time from like when he
1: joined to like when they caught him and like this movie ended was like two years total.
0: Okay, I I could very easily buy that. Yeah. But, uh, I yeah, I mean Leo, Leo sure got up there pretty quick.
1: Um. Yeah. I feel like it's just family connections type
0: of deal. That kind of
1: was a catalyst, catalyst for yeah. all that happening. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. Uh I like the third time I just dropped my notebook. Uh, I'm if it comes up in the audio, it's going to be hilarious. Anyway, if if not, I'm just going to sound like a lunatic. Uh, I really, I really don't have any other notes. This is such. Uh, actually, I'll ask. I'll ask you one final question that I have, and then I'll turn it over to you for any of your final thoughts or any any or anything that you had that I just didn't get to. Um, for a two and a half hour long movie, which is, in case anyone's wondering, not short. Um, how quickly do you feel as though this goes by? Does it feel the two and a half hours, or does it feel shorter? Yeah, it feels like this is like an hour and a half long
1: when you're watching it like it it shoots by. maybe that's because I've seen it so many times, and movies always go by faster, you know, after you have seen it once and you're not just waiting there in suspense the whole time, but at least at this point, it feels like it just shoots by.
0: I would say everything up until um. The many endings of the film shoots by, right? I'd say I'll say everything up until um, Leo DiCaprio leaving Matt Damon's office shoots by, and then it slows down a bit. But at the same time, I wouldn't cut a single one of those endings out.
1: Yeah, I definitely don't think I would either. Uh, you know, uh, we'll get to my final thoughts of the movie, but uh, this movie's perfect. Like, I wouldn't change anything. Maybe, Aren't maybe we... just some of the the fast editing cuts that just kind of take me out of it because it's it's jarring to me. But at the same time, it's it's nothing of note.
0: Well, why don't you give me some uh, uh, some more? Oh, Jesus fucking Christ! Why don't you give me any of any notes that you might have that we didn't get to earlier in the discussion?
1: Um, in the opening scenes, when it's you know to be a, a throwback, a, a flashback. Excuse me to when Sullivan's, like, a, a young boy. Uh, the way they shoot Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholson, oh, my God. In the dark, it's like Martin Scorsese says he wanted to do an Irishman-style de-aging thing to have him be young, but, like, there's no reliable way to do that in 2004, 2006, whenever it came out. Um, so he's just standing in a shadow, like, with a black face the whole time. It's just, it's so weird to look.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I, I'd i I'd rather they play with light than try the de-aging shit they did in The Irishman because that looks very sad. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not great. What else are you going to do?
1: Yeah, no, I get it. Like, it, it makes sense why he did it that way. It's just funny that the first, like, three scenes that he's in, it's just him standing with his just his face in the dark. Yeah. My favorite plotline that never once talked about outside of like two throwaway lines is how Matt Damon can't get it up in bed. And like they don't really ever touch on it, but it's like two back or like two lines, like a third of the way through and like right before the end. It's just like Matt Damon is just completely impotent. And it's just like that. That might be the most satisfying part of all this just like he's a piece of human garbage and he sucks in bed this makes me feel a little better
0: yeah fuck Um, you Matt Damon
1: yeah fuck guys with erectile dysfunction which is an extremely serious disorder and should not be talked about lightly yeah fuck him
0: yeah just
1: fuck Um, Matt Damon uh fair enough fair enough I will never forgive him for interstellar um but that's that's a different discussion Um, the final shot of just the rat running along the balcony over, overlooking the Capitol building in Boston, um, fucking 12 year old me thought that was the most symbolic, just monumental shot in the history of film. And it's like, I remember like saying, oh, the rats run high in Boston thinking I was fucking Play-Doh with some just life, you know, humanity changing Epiphanies, uh, but yeah. And then uh, the last last note that I do think we should talk about is a Martin Sheen line, which I'm very glad it's Martin Sheen who says it because of you know his past work and his past history um, with you know being such a progressive person is a uh, when he's talking to Leonardo DiCaprio about coming on as an undercover, and he asks him do you want to be a cop. Or do you want to just appear to be a cop? And it's—I just couldn't Great think line. of it. This movie that's just so fitting for what's going on right now. Um, and I, I would feel bad not bringing this up and talking about it.
0: Oh, I know it's—it's a—it's a beautiful if you see line.
1: The uh, exact line. Uh, it's 14 minutes. It's like 15 seconds of the movie.
0: And he delivers it with such sincerity. I mean. And again, amidst what's happening in the world today, it really hits home.
1: Mm-hmm. And like Martin Sheen, of all people, like the this is the first time I've seen this movie after seeing The West Wing for the first time, and having that background for you know Martin Sheen, even though you shouldn't carry your characters from their movies, it's just he has become that kind of figure, that kind of you know symbolism for. Just that kind of thinking, and uh, it just, that just was a, it struck me. It really did.
0: I gotcha. Anything else?
1: Nope, that's all I got.
0: All right, then go ahead and give me your conclusion and rating.
1: This is just a fantastic movie, one of the best crime dramas, uh, and I guess you could call it mystery thriller in a way um that I've ever watched. Uh I think this is the peak of Martin Scorsese, which I know is saying a lot and we could have an argument about. Um, I would but
0: vehemently disagree, but I, I okay. Yeah,
1: no, I, I fully expect that, but I don't care and I will fight on this hill. This is a perfect movie in my mind. This is a five out
0: of five. Uh yeah, I mean this is this is the this is this type of movie that Martin Scorsese will deliver to you with utter So one of the one of the things that people said about um the Irishman that Martin Scorsese's most recent film that they got on Netflix and can be watched there if you have approximately seven hours to kill. Um, is that like, you know, Martin Scorsese's made this movie before, or there's better versions of this movie out there. And that was true of the Irishman and it, or is true of the Irishman. But the thing is like, I still liked watching it. The one and only time I will watch it because he just does it so fucking well. Like if you want a mob movie, Scorsese's the guy who's going to hit the nail on the fucking head. Every single, doesn't matter the context. Doesn't matter if we're talking about um, Al Pacino being old, uh, Robert De De Niro being old, doing it as an old man thing in 2020. Doesn't matter if you're talking about Robert De Niro doing it in the 90s as in a 1920s movie. Doesn't matter if you're talking about Daniel Day-Lewis doing it in a movie taking place in the 1800s. And doesn't matter if you're talking about uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio doing it. In a modern day movie in Boston. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. He's going to hit the nail on the head every single time. It's fucking ridiculous. And this is just another exercise of that.
1: Huh? If you were to rank the top 10 movies, uh, you know, mob movies, gangster movies, whatever you want to call it, you'd have to give the top spot to Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather. But like, two through 10 is Martin Scorsese. And that says so much than being, like, the best of all time. Like, I that is mm, true.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I'd have, to, I'd, I'd have to give Coppola two spots there, at least. Godfather 1 and 2.
1: i I loop those together, but whatever. I know they're two separate movies, but it's The Godfather. Whatever.
0: And don't, and don't a, forget don't about Godfather it. Part 3, the real classic amongst the three.
1: That movie does not exist, and I will not acknowledge that you just said it.
0: Have you ever actually watched it?
1: Uh-huh.
0: I never have.
1: It's not good. I mean, it's not I, as bad as people say. Like, it's not the worst movie ever made, but... Sofia Coppola is not a good actress, and that movie is not good.
0: I I will never <laughs> stoop so low as to watch it. I absolutely refuse. Um, anyway, this is a, a phenomenal film. Um, I am, It's got such a good cast. Oh, my God, it's so well done. Everyone fits their characters so well. Uh, I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. I don't know why I'm I'm keeping it below that five mark. I haven't given one a five yet, so maybe I'm waiting for something. I don't know what it would be, um, but goddammit, this is a really great film, um, and I'm stingy with my final half star, so definitely, definitely watch it.
1: Yeah, this is my second five out of five
0: with along do the right thing, which is also... Quite fitting for today but we won't
1: go back into that
0: nope nope if you want our opinions on today's current events check out our twitter we're keeping it separated uh, but our opinions can be found on twitter <laughs> uh anyway let's bring it up to the the next film that we did we, uh i've been hitting my streak of keeping it modern by going with the 2020 the very current release uh the invisible man Starring, or sorry, written and directed by Lee Wannell, starring Elizabeth Moss, Oliver Jackson-Cohen, and Harriet Dreyer, which those names sound made up. Most of them are objects. Um, it had an estimated budget of $7 million, uh, and it has a cumulative worldwide gross currently of $123 million, So, quite a success. Uh, that is That's certainly a nice looking ROI. Uh, it has no significant nominations or wins of any kind because it is excruciatingly recent. Um, But it follows uh, a woman, Cecilia, whose abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune. She suspects his death was a hoax. A series of coincidences turn lethal. Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by somebody nobody can see. Uh, Corwin, what did you think of this movie?
1: Um, I've probably gone into this movie with the lowest expectations of any movie I've ever watched uh, just because of how much I hated the trailer. I I will stand to, I'll stand by it to this day that the Invisible Man trailer is the worst trailer of all time because it gives away every fucking plot point to the movie. Um, the only thing it doesn't really give off is it makes you think that this is going to be a a psychological thriller um, because it, it, you know, gives you some hints that, Oh, this is just um, Cecilia being crazy. And, you know, Elizabeth Moth is just portraying a a psycho person. And then it's like, it's it's schizophrenic episode. They don't really know if the guy's there, what maybe. And I, I just, Every time I went to the movies, this was something that previewed, and it drove me insane. Um, So I was very reluctant to when you picked this movie. Uh, That being said, I thought this was one of the most well-done horror movies I've seen in a, like, I've I've ever seen. I don't watch a lot of horror movies. I hate the genre. I'm a scared little bitch. I watched this movie under my covers in my bed. Um... But god damn it, it was so fucking well done. Uh, yeah, I we can go into it later. But yeah, that's just my initial thoughts.
0: Excellent. Yeah, we will be getting into it. Um, and because this is a recent release, I will say that we are going to probably end up talking about the entirety of it. So this is your official uh, spoiler warning. If you want to watch this film without being spoiled on the uh, in with about the plot really, how it goes. Turn this off. Come back to it after you see it. It's on Amazon. It costs $6 if you want to do it the legal way. It costs $0 if you want to find another way. Uh, But uh, I would recommend, not not that listening to us talk about it's going to, like, massively destroy your viewing experience. Because as Corwin said, and I will defend his opinion vehemently, the trailer for this movie is fucking garbage (laughs) and tells you exactly what's going to happen. But hell, is it still fucking a good movie? Um, so anyway, I, stop I here say, if you don't want to hear what happened. trailer happens.
1: long enough ago where I did not remember any of those major plot points, and I feel like it was just the right amount of time. If it was any sooner, I would have remembered that shit, and probably would have ruined a lot of the movie for me.
0: I remember, I think I watched the trailer for it, because I was in the theater when I saw it, so I must have been around when I watched IT too. IT Chapter 2. Uh, I think because, uh, one of my friends, Dan and I, we, we, we try to go see horror movies in theaters together because, um, honestly, no one else really cares about going and fuck, you know, it's a thing to do. Uh, so, um, I think that's must've been when I saw it and that was back in January.
2: I want to say,
0: anyway, it was a while ago. It does show you the entirety of the movie though. It's, it's not great. Um. So, basically, uh, this movie starts off with Elizabeth Moss being uh, in a relationship with this guy living, you know, they living together. She wakes up at 3.41 in the morning. I don't know why it stuck in my head, but it did. Um, packs a bag, does a whole bunch of shit, um, gets the fuck out of uh, the house, and um, leaves her, her boyfriend, who then uh, ends up committing suicide and then being all invisible manny um it again i knew every turn this movie was going to make either from combination of uh the trailer or uh general intuition for how horror movies go but it really it it keeps you invested there's enough scenes in there that create doubt or create surprise without being so straight up jump scary that it's it's enrapturing like there's a scene where Elizabeth Moss is sharing a bed with her friend's uh, daughter because she's crashing on someone else's couch, or I guess bed. And she gets up in, in the middle of the night because uh, the blanket got pulled off of her and uh, the invisible man is standing on her blanket. You can see the, the, the foot marks as she's pulling it away. And this is her first realization that there is an invisible man. And it like edges closer to her, and there's not a, a, a real, true jump scare in its original sense. It's it's just low, low volume terror. You know, like I would I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there thinking to myself, "What the fuck is swing, bitch? <laughs> the fuck <laughs> you gonna do? Stop it! It's getting yeah. closer." <laughs> uh, so, I mean, how 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 did you? what was your general feeling as you, like, kind of navigated where this movie went? Um,
1: so the first note I have before I even started the movie was a question asking, you know, will this be able to scare me without jump scares? Because I feel like that is the That's bar. A good bar. Set for horror movies. Yeah. Um, because I feel like too many just have these cheap jump scares and it's like, okay, like, yes, this movie was scary, but it didn't do it in a satisfying way it felt cheap uh and i wish these notes had timestamps because i feel like almost immediately after i wrote that uh i wrote yes um the audio in this i felt was amazing um really nice mix of either being extremely intense extremely in your face just you know making your heart pound uh, and just being utterly silent, no audio whatsoever, um, really matching with where the tone of the movie is at the time, uh, and it it really uh, accentuates the horror of trying to see an enemy, you know, a, a villain that you can't see.
0: Um, yeah, I found the silence to be especially effective in this because because you know you can't see him. I ended up treating the silence every time as like a, oh we're supposed to hear something so I ended up paying way closer attention so I wouldn't miss a detail than I probably otherwise would have with silence because typically in hard movies silence equals a jump scare soon to follow which made anything that came after the silence tenfold more effective because I had been paying so much extra attention to make sure I didn't miss anything
1: right I, I found myself doing the same thing because of the way they shot it too A ton of empty frames. Tons? Um, Oh, my God. It, it, like, jumped out at me at the start because it was empty frames that didn't lead to anything. You know, it it didn't cut to an empty frame to have, you know, a stack of magazines on the table move. Um, It felt like they were training me to just see, to have to look at an empty room. And look for what was changing. Look for little things, little details that I wouldn't normally look at because there's no subject in the frame. Um, and the way they used that throughout the movie, I felt was wildly effective. Um, you know, and for a movie with a seven million dollar budget, you know, Bloomhouse is known for a ton of low budget movies, and hopefully a couple of them that work out work out really well and fun everything. They didn't have the budget for a ton of special effects, and oh my god, the way they utilized it was fantastic. Um, you know, like I feel like there was only maybe two or three jump scares, I didn't keep an active tally, but I kind of was paying attention for that specifically. Um, and the way they were used was effective. Uh, you know, they're jump scares, but they can still be done effectively. Um, and I just thought the the technique used to create this tension, to create this horror, this existential dread of just knowing he's around um, anywhere at any given time was uh, just super, super well done.
0: I also want to give a lot of credit to the, the general writing of the film, uh, outside of uh, a lot of the dialogue, which I think is... Um, probably most challenging to not sound corny in a horror movie because the what are you talking about man you sound crazy is so easy to fall into with a horror movie because like you need that character to be there and to like be that guy but at the same time it's very tough to not make that person sound like how i just made it sound um but only one time i heard that but yeah i want to give a lot of credit to how little they explain the science behind anything, because Mm -hmm. that is the one thing I want none of in these movies. I don't need to sit there and be like, now, come on with that. That's what you want to go with. Look, they didn't give a real solid explanation to the, uh, the boyfriend's past, uh, business exploits. Like at all, you knew he was in optics. You knew he was rich. You knew he was a psychopath. You didn't really... The, they think this. They said the suit worked with, like, cameras or some shit. Didn't go into a lot of detail on it. And the thing is, doesn't fucking matter. And I love a movie that gets that.
1: Right. Like, when they explain it, they always end up explaining it in a way that it's like, okay, I know for a fact that's not even plausible. And it takes you out of the movie. With this is just like, okay optics, camera, like the technology behind this works in theory it just hasn't been, you know, fully fledged out yet Um, and with this it's just like, okay you kind of can get how this works, we're not going to try to explain it because it would be wrong and impossible, so we're just going to roll with it and it makes it infinitely easier to just follow along and Find yourself with that suspension of disbelief.
0: Exactly. And one of the other main traps that, that this can end up leading to is like a movie that ends up contradicting its own rules, given how they want to explain the science behind these things. And if you don't explain it and just let that shit roll, then that's because fu- like no one wants to be the dude who's like, oh, well, if it's like reflecting light, then like, how does it work at night? Because that's not fun to be. But at the same time, if those are the rules are going to go with. And then you have like it reflects light, but it's like the middle of the night. How is he invisible? Then oh my God. Then like that's really fucking annoying as a viewer. And it didn't do that, which is oh again, such a fucking relief. God damn. Um, so I want to give a lot of credit to that because whew, it 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 it's one of those things that didn't hit me until like later on in the movie that like they didn't go into it, but I was so relieved that <laughs> they didn't go into it. Um Anyway, what was something of the other things? The one piece of dialogue that did stick out to me as being
1: exceptionally bad was when the sister breaks the news to Elizabeth Moss's character that you know, Adrian is dead. Um, she like comes into the house and it's like, well, you can't be upset with me about this, or you can't fear him anymore because he's dead. And I was like, did John Mulaney like teach her how? To, like, was he the one directing the scene? Like, getting her to say it like that? Like, god damn! Like, that's the most horror movie way of saying that possible, and it just felt so out of place compared to the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah, the um, uh, the sister and um, James were both not great um, in terms of their just, acting. Uh, the, the the guy she was staying with, the cop. I didn't mind him much.
1: I mean, he I wasn't, felt like yeah, he wasn't he was like, a little over the top, but like it made sense why he was.
0: I will say, I will also say though, um, that the one the one bit of of character writing I thought was so fucking stupid was the sister. And Cal and I kept remarking on this as we as we went on throughout the movie that the sister's choice of actions are so comically insane that it's just unfathomable that a person would think this way. Like she pulls up in the first scene she's in, she pulls up on the side of the road at what must be four o'clock in the morning and chooses to sit there in the street, in the dark, her sister, frantic as all hell, and just be like, what are we doing here? Why are we here right now? And her sister's like, bitch move. (laughs) She's like, why don't you just like tell me what's happening? I'm sitting like, why are you like this? And then like her sister turning up at her apartment later on in the film being like, I didn't write you that email. And she's like, yes, you did. And she's like, bitch, no, I didn't. I don't fucking know what you're talking about. And she was like, Such I, I, <laughs> Sorry, I go ahead. no, it was just, it was just so it's like no one, I get that they, they needed that to be in there because it sets up like when her sister eventually gets killed, they part of the, um, uh, I guess, eventual, if this movie went a different way, eventual legal case would be the emails. The email that she sent saying that, I wish you were dead. Um, but And so they needed all these conflicts to happen to set future stages, but, oh my God, it was the most unreasonable I've ever seen a person be in a movie <laughs> to their own sibling.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know she just escaped this relationship with an absolute sociopath uh and it was like super controlling and whatever it may be like your sister explains that to you you don't think it's possible that like i don't know he's like you can set up emails for like to be sent in the future like you can do certain things to like set that up now like it just seemed like oh like there's no way that someone else could have sent it like obviously if your sister sent it and then came to you and was like I don't even know this thing fucking exists it's like oh none of that pops up as being a little fucking weird to you
0: huh uh, yeah I mean I get I get phishing emails at work all the time from like my coworkers' email addresses it's insane like they can do anything these days. um to the to the side, though. Uh, so one of the other things I wrote down here is, how much buildup do you need when the concept of the film is in the name? And I was thinking about it, and they... You know, it, this movie wants to be, and is, I think, successfully, a, a psychological thriller to a lot of... Um, to, to a great extent, and as well as being a horror film the concept of what makes it psychological, what's supposed to be a guessing game for the main character is something that we know off the fucking jump. Cause again, it is the name of the movie and I have to imagine that makes it so much harder on the writer's behalf because there's no guessing game for us. The viewer, you know, we know, yeah. We we obviously know.
1: And it's not like it's an original story. No. This has been around for ages. Uh,
0: the first piece that I can recall being like this is... Uh, um, was it Orson Welles? Who wrote the original Invisible Man in like the 1890s? I'm pretty sure. Like or, no, sorry. H.G. Wells, I should say. H.G. Wells. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stick with that answer. Final answer, Mr. Trebek. Uh, anyway. So... Yeah, like this has been around granted I I was not expecting I should have expected with optics that it was going to be technology. I was wondering if it was going to be an injection of some kind. Anyway, um I like How do you think you would have reacted to this movie if the title was more ambiguous and you didn't know for sure that the boyfriend was there and that she wasn't just crazy?
1: Um I don't know if I would I feel like I would have liked it more just because it would have made it so much scarier. Because you would go into it thinking, like, okay, she's taking that medication. I don't know specifically what that medication does, so it could be for anything. Okay, why is she still freaking out? Like, obviously, like, there's serious trauma here. Like, okay, she's imagining he's still alive. You know, you you don't always notice like the little things like the door opening or like the breath behind her when she goes outside. And then that would have made the throwing the paint over him in the ceiling all the more terrifying. Like, what the fuck is this? Uh, And I feel like then it would have needed just a little more exposition about like, hey, he's not like a ghost. It's a a suit for, of invisibility. Like, I mean, they don't have to have it be explicitly in a dialogue, but, you know, that little bit of detail would be the only thing that needed to be added. Um, but I f- think I would have liked it more. I, I mean, it's hard to say, but it would be something uh, to see.
0: Yeah, what, what? and I think that's one of the things that makes this film so effective, is that if I don't think, I'll rephrase if it wants to be that movie, I don't think you'd have to change too much from the way it's currently set up to get there. Right. Which again, I think speaks really well to to how this is oriented. Um let's talk about the ending of the film because I cause I also want to talk about the uh the a lot of the the main symbolism of the film. Um so it the ending after Elizabeth Moss uh escapes from the hospital, she goes to uh James's house because she thinks that Adrian is going to kill uh James's daughter, which he is, he's there. There is a scuffle, and then Elizabeth Moss shoots Adrian. He dies. She takes the mask off. It's not Adrian, it's the brother. Um and she's like bah, bah, bah. Um and then like the police finds Adrian uh Walled into uh or captured and being held in the basement of his house, um claiming he had been there for a significant portion of time and was put there by his brother, and so he's pinning it all on his brother. Um do you buy it?
1: Uh do I buy that it was his brother the whole time? Yeah. Not even for a second. Um you know, it's one of those things where obviously it was staged where, you know, they staged his death. Uh, you know, I I don't necessarily think his brother did that all by himself just to stalk his sister. Maybe it had something to do with getting his inheritance. I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like he was... Seem to be awful enough as a person to. I don't want to say he deserved to be fucking murdered. But at the same time. Yeah. I mean if it was him doing this all along. Obviously he does. And it's a satisfying ending. And uh, I guess I just am choosing to be willfully ignorant. About the ending of this movie. Um, Because it was satisfying. And that's all I need. And it's a movie. Not real life. So I feel like I can do that.
0: I I definitely think it has to have been Adrian earlier in the film, because otherwise, why would and I forget the brother's name? I don't really care. Um, why would he have gone to the hospital saying, hey, if you keep the baby, uh, he'll let you keep the money and make it all go away, you know, because if he was only after the money, uh, if the brother was only after the, the inheritance money, he wouldn't give a flying fuck about that baby and that deal wouldn't have existed you know right um Uh, and and yeah i could definitely hop on board with that and i definitely think like it, it tracks because one of the one of the main ideas behind who the adrian character is is that he's a manipulative guy like he can get you to be what he wants you to be and do things that he wants you to do um uh, eventually, the the film truly ends with Elizabeth Moss going over to Adrian's house, the house that the film began in. Now that Adrian has been released from his quote unquote brother's ca- captivity and cleared of all wrongdoing, she goes there with a wire, under the assumption that um, she's going to record him on uh, audio confessing to doing everything in a private conversation. Instead, she pretends to go to the bathroom, slips on a second invisibility suit that she had um hidden in a previous visit to the house uh goes back out as an invisible person kills adrian in a way that makes it look like a suicide uh takes the suit off and then comes back out and acts all surprised so the film ends with adrian dying uh, at her hands but her getting to be guilt-free in it um what do you think of that as being like i guess the final twist of the film
1: Uh, I mean, it's not the greatest setting in the world. Uh, It makes sense. But it's like, okay, sure. Like, you deserve it. You worked it out. It's satisfying. But, like, it felt a little, like, at the end, like, when uh, James sees the suit in her bag and it's like, okay, we're gonna go along with this. It's like, I have succeeded in beating him. It's like, Okay. That I just—I don't know—that's kind of weirdly toned compared to the rest of the movie. But I don't know. It just—it isn't something I specifically dislike, but I—I'm not going to say it's a a great ending.
0: So it's definitely forced a little bit. I think that it it could have been a great ending if she didn't keep the suit. Um, only because there's if I'm James. You know what, man? I'll hide the murder. But like, you can't keep that. <laughs> like, I'm not going to let you leave with it. You know, I'll just say like I found it and you know, that's what it is, you know? But I'm not going to I'm not going to let you just hang on to the free murder suit.
1: I feel like it's one step below keeping the murder weapon. It like, basically is.
0: But like they can't
1: Prove that it was someone in an invisibility suit who killed him. It's like...
0: And there's no proof there's of there like, being a second one.
1: Right. Even if there is, it's like, okay. All we have is this video evidence of him gripping a knife and then slitting his own throat. Not... And like... It's circumstantial is what the evidence they have. And I, I don't think they would be able to convict her for that i don't know i mean they have evidence of her killing someone else too so maybe they could make that work but um i don't know i feel like it's it's not quite the same as having the actual weapon but at the same time it's like that's
0: you don't keep that (laughs) you cannot keep that there's no way they would let you keep that um i so the ending is definitely meant to be the the final redemption arc for a woman who had been, um, what's the best way of putting it, just just under the the captivity physically at at one point and then mentally at various points, um, a a man who had had her trapped in an abusive relationship, and that really I would contend, and I don't think it's it's overly disguised, is like the theme of the film, you know she's in an abuse she's in in the beginning she is in an obviously abusive relationship from her actions we don't see any of it but she details of some of it later on and you have no reason to think anything otherwise why the hell else would she be escaping and then the rest of it is meant to symbolize just the general fear that I think that they're trying to say a woman feels after leaving a relationship like that. Something that was that manipulative, that there's someone that he could still be out there and hiding and making your life miserable and being the the cause of all your ill-fated misgivings or or, or missteps. And that that's the reality for people. And then the end was supposed to be her conquering that in in a sense. and. I think it it fits that really well and I think 99% of the movie does that without it feeling cheesy in the slightest. I think it really tracks and flows so well. I think it really is really fitting. But I don't something about the ending. It's like I get I I get what it was and I do feel that that sense of karmic justice but it also that's the only time it felt cheesy i didn't feel like it felt cheesy at all before then is that kind of which what, what, what you feel too
1: i completely agree uh i feel like that is far and away the biggest issue i have with um horror movies because they usually do feel cheesy to some degree um And, I, you know, again, this is just a really superbly well-done movie that feels like exactly what you would hope this movie feels like. Uh, And far better than I expected it to. Yeah. Yeah, no, this... uh... I I am truly amazed by how my perception of this movie changed by watching it. Like, going yeah. from trailer to watching the movie, it is incredible. Like, I don't think I've ever gone into a movie with a worse opinion and come out thinking so highly of this. <laughs> I don't oh, think I've ever I... gone into a movie with a worse opinion, and I think it very highly of this movie.
0: Oh, this had, this had all the makings for being terrible, and I'm so glad it was not. And I'm so pleased with how much I fucking ended up liking it. I might watch it again. Yeah. Um
1: what's interesting is the like group of stories that the invisible man is a part of. It's like uh the the dark something whatever it is like the uh, Blumhouse has a lot of the rights to that. Uh I think and so they're going to be doing a lot of these different kind of movies. Um at least that's what I've heard and I would just be very interested to see what, um, what they do with other movies like this, like uh, stuff with like the mummy or like the uh, Bride of Frankenstein, stuff like that. I just I don't know.
0: Have you ever seen the Robert De Niro Frankenstein? Uh, I have not. Do you know that that was a movie? Not at all. Robert De Niro plays Frankenstein, the monster, not the man. Why? (laughs) Dude, you gotta watch it. (laughs) Classic Monsters. Okay,
1: so it's called Universal Classic Monsters, something like that, Dark Universe.
0: That would make sense. Uh, Those are very classic monsters, yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, so do you know what the name of this movie is where he plays Frankenstein?
0: I think it's called Franken, oh, it's called Mary Shelley's Frankenstein.
1: That really gets me in the mood for Frankenstein, Mary Shelley. Very well, I think they're
0: book. trying to convey that like it's not like the Boris Karloff Frankenstein films of the 30s where it's nothing even fucking close to the to the book because the Robert De Niro one is very close to the book. The problem mm-hmm. is it's not very good, but it's very right. close like, to the
1: book. The original writer of the the story, that's a very physically imposing name, well known. This is like Mary Shelley sounds like someone I would watch on TV who has a baking show. You know, It
0: sounds like, like someone who wrote the same type of stuff as Jane Austen.
1: Uh, looking at pictures of Robert De Niro. Holy shit. Yep. That is something. Highly recommend viewers go f- figure out what
0: this is. Yep. Crawl under the covers on a dark night. And just look Hello. at pictures of monsters. <laughs> uh, all right, do you have anything else to say on on um, the Invisible Man twenty twenty? Elizabeth Moss is a very underrated actress. Yeah, she's really fucking good. Um, all right, then give me a give me a, a star rating, man.
1: Uh, I am very surprised to say this, but I give this a four out of
0: five. I'm right fucking there with you. I think we're both operating under the uh, horror movies. Uh, a decent one is already like a, we're, we're operating under a different star rating that applies more specifically to horror films, but fuck, man. This is a fun, good movie. Like, this is right. It's actually good. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah I, I was more surprised by this than almost anything else I've
0: seen in the past 3 years. I'm fucking with you. Um you know, all right, two, do you 3 years back. Give me Sorry. next week's movie, my friend. Uh
1: a movie that you introduced me to that is one of the funniest movies either of us have ever seen. Uh Black Dynamite.
0: Oh, it's such a classic. Do yourself a favor, watch it and pay very very close attention. I have set, found countless more jokes every time I rewatch it. It's such a good movie. It's just a great choice, Corwin. I can't wait to rewatch it. I need it. Uh, just listen, listen to the lyrics of the songs playing in the background. It's amazing. Um, uh, after... Like,
1: oh yeah, Taking this movie earlier, I have said so many fucking quotes just to myself, just laughing.
0: It is a oh. brutally quotable movie. Yeah. Uh, I am going to go with another film that I have not watched yet. Uh, this one is good is good because it's very readily available. It's on Hulu now, which is why I have it in the back in my mind to watch it. Uh, I'm my pick is Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic. Um. Uh, it, I, I don't, I, I'm going to guess it's a musical because I think like the Freddie Mercury one technically counts as one. Uh, but it's just the music of Elton John uh, set to the life of Elton John. And, uh, I like Elton John. So, uh, and I f- never watched it when it came out cause it didn't get enough Oscar nominations for me to carve out the time for it. So rocket man.
1: This is the first movie that either of us have picked that I have seen and you haven't.
0: Oh, you saw this.
1: I have seen this. It's very good.
0: Oh, thank God. Alright.
1: <laughs> um, I really say, really I wouldn't want to have to shit on Elton John. But the final scene, which, you know, is musical in nature, is one of my favorite scenes in all of movies.
0: Oh, wow. I really can't wait then. God damn.
1: Uh, I really... Yeah, I mean, it, it's not because it's, you know, a... Subjectively or objectively, like perfect piece of cinema, it's just so enjoyable, and the music side of it, I enjoy so much. It's just an all-time favorite.
0: I, I really hope it's uh, Elton John's collaboration with a tribe called Quest, but I guess I'll have to find out. Um, How, that would be an huh? Huh? How do you know? Amazing team. Huh?
1: Huh? You know the ending of this movie without seeing it?
0: Uh, I swear to God, if it is that, I will lose my mind. If Q-Tip comes barreling out onto the screen, I'm going to oh, uh, I'm gonna have an unholy reaction. Um, but anyway, uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here?
1: I just want to see Elton John like, cut away and be, can I kick it?
0: Yes,
2: you can!
0: <laughs> can I <laughs> kick it? Uh, Alright, well, if you don't got anything else, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Pod. You can hit us up via Gmail at juicethenumbers at gmail.com um, and until Monday y'all have a good one bye